Forrest Fenn. Have you heard about him? Anybody know about Forrest Fenn? Uh-huh, thank you very much. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Let me tell the story. Forrest Fenn was a decorated Air Force pilot. He served in Vietnam uh, over the course of one year, 365 days. He flew 328 missions. Came back to the United States and started what has become known as the Flynn, the Fenn, I'm sorry, did I say Flynn? The Fenn Gallery. He um, specialized in Native American artifacts, uh, bronze sculptures, and was very successful in making a living. Uh, one estimate is that over the course of one year, six, $6 million, he took in $6 million. Tragically, in 1988, uh, he lived from uh, 1930 until 2020. In, in 1988, he was diagnosed with cancer, which the doctors believed to be terminal. And so he decided that he would take some of his wealth and bury it as a treasure and challenge people to go and find it. You find the treasure, it's yours. It was estimated to be about $2 million worth. And uh, five, at least five people that we know have died trying to find that buried treasure. In, um, I believe it was 2018, one man uh, located it. And he located it because Fenn had written a book entitled the thrill of the chase in which he left little clues as to how a person could find the treasure. Unfortunately for the treasure finder, 2020 litigation started against him because a um, real estate attorney charged him with stealing text messages and emails that were her private property and had her investigation as to where the treasure was. And that was the end of the Fenn treasure. It's still in litigation as far as I know. Don't we all want to have some impact on this world? Don't we want to also be able to feel secure and uh, to know that our needs are being taken care of? The man who found the treasure thought that he would be able to pay off all his debts. Hasn't happened yet. The next section of the life of David is his quest. His quest to deal with real problems that bring us face-to-face -face with need for security, impact, trust. And if you have a Bible and can turn to it, we're going to look at the section Bill just read, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12. We'll begin with the last half of verse 15 and go down through verse 25. And we're going to do it this way. If you need some ideas to hang your own thoughts on, first of all, we'll look at uh, 
David's response to family illness and death. And then next, Q&A that's in, the section, in this passage. And uh, then we'll kind of come full circle and finally bring the whole thing home to how this can make a difference for you in the weeks ahead. David was a man of war. He knew about suffering and death. First uh, Samuel chapter 17, he had killed Goliath. After that, he killed 200 Philistines to pay a bride price so that he could marry his wife, Michael. And subsequent to that, he also was victorious at Ziklag uh, against a uh, large number of warring peoples. But this situation that we just read about is different. It's different because it's close to home. Here, God afflicts David's son. It's not David bringing pain and suffering on anybody else. And let's just say to ourselves, we don't have a very clear timeline here. We don't know how long the period from verse 15 to verse 25 actually took to develop. We do know that at the beginning, Bathsheba is pregnant. Then the baby is born. We don't know the date of birth. Uh, we don't know how long it was before God afflicted this baby. But David faces this child's illness that's from the Lord. And the Lord is the one who has said that this child will die. David didn't know if this affliction was the beginning of the death of the child or if maybe he would recover and there would be some affliction later on. Maybe he would not die until he was 12 or 13 or 14. We don't know. Maybe there would be a series of illnesses. And we don't know either what was going through David's mind or Bathsheba's mind. One of the things that is clear is that the narrator takes us inside the story. And he gives us some... Uh, some special information that we want to leave to the end. But he gives us in, an insider look at what is actually happening here. What's the storyline? Well, look at verse 16. David seeks the Lord, and then we are told that uh, this illness is terminal. Uh, and so David fasts and casts himself on the ground and we're told that he weeps. He refuses to respond to any of the comfort that any of his servants might bring to him. And the Bible tells us that the child languishes for seven days, so think about it. Day one, David is on his face before the Lord. Please 
save this child's life. And day two, and three, and four, and five, and six, and finally on day seven, the baby dies. And isn't it a picture why the number seven, I think, one of complete suffering. Full cycle. David's faced with terminal illness and he goes before the Lord with that suffering. And what happens? Well, verse 18 tells us the child dies and now there are a series of questions and answers. David finds out that his efforts have not been affected effective in bringing any healing the threatened death has come and now what verse 20 David gets up washes himself cleans himself up changes his clothes and then he goes into the house of the Lord to worship he bows before the Lord in submissive in submission to him Those are David's responses to terminal illness in his family and to death. Well, what about the questions and answers that all of this generates? Verse 18, the servants, they have questions. They see that the child is about to die or has died, and they say to themselves, how can we say anything to David? He's so distraught. For this many days, if we say anything to him, he may do himself harm. And then David asks the question in verse 19, is the child dead? And they say, I suppose in a very hesitant way, yes, yes, he is dead. And then they watch David get up, clean himself up, go into the temple to worship. And in verse 21, they ask, what is it, David? Uh, what are you doing? And David tells them the answer. See it? Verse 22. He says, well, who knows? I thought to myself, maybe my efforts at calling on the name of the Lord, maybe they would be effective and the Lord would actually heal this child. Maybe he would be gracious to me. God's work in David's life as a result of his sin makes him think about God's grace. God has been gracious in the past. He said, yes, I'm under your chastening, I'm, I'm going to be under his chastening hand, but maybe he'll be gracious. Now let's ask ourselves the question, what prompts David to act the way that he does? Do you know? The Bible tells us in a very clear way. Well, we've touched on illness and death in David's life. We've touched on the questions. 
Now we want to kind of come full circle here. What happens next? We are told in verses 24 and 25 that David goes in and he comforts Bathsheba. He lies with her. They conceive a child. The child's name is Solomon. God loves him. Nathan comes and calls him Jedediah. And we ask, what is all that about? All right. Do you remember how Bathsheba is identified if we go back to chapter 11 and work our way down through chapter 11 and then chapter 12? Do you know how she's described? Well, just look at it. Verse 2, she's a woman. Chapter 11, verse 2, she's a woman. Verse 3, she's a woman and a daughter and a wife. And then verse 5, she's a woman again. And then she's Uriah's wife. She's the wife of Uriah. It's not until chapter 12, verse 24, that we find this woman identified as David's wife. There's some shift that's taken place. See it? Finally, there's some normalization to their relationship. And then what's the name of the child that's going to be born to them? His name is Solomon. And Solomon means a man of peace, but the word Solomon comes from another Hebrew word that's very close to it, shalom. You know what shalom means? Peace, wholeness, When we say shalom to one another, we're saying, may it go well with you. May you be at peace. May there be a wholeness to your life. And so now what's happened in David and Bathsheba's life is the Lord has brought the new fruit of the womb to expression. There's a peace about her, uh, about him in Solomon's name, but there's a larger wholeness where they can kind of relax in their relationship with one another. But then there's one other note in verse 25. This child is loved of the Lord, and Nathan comes and calls him Jedidiah, that is, the Lord loves him. And that is all linked to verse 16. Did you notice what motivates David? The child is sick. Verse 16 tells us, Then David sought the Lord. David seeks the Lord. The Lord takes him through the illness and death. And now a new baby is born. And it brings completion. David's new blessing now with Bathsheba and this new uh, relationship or this relationship that's been normalized after all the sin comes as a result of him 
pursuing the Lord. The Lord pers David pursues the Lord in the illness. He prostrates himself before him, and he prays and prays and weeps. And then after the child dies, David goes on pursuing the Lord. He goes into the Lord's house and he worships. David's obedience to the Lord is not somehow separated from his um, blessing, from the Lord's blessing upon David, and it raises an important question. Where do you go? Where do you go when you're faced with terminal illness? Where do you go when you're faced with death in your family? David goes to the Lord. Where do you go when you're facing any problem, large or small? And we see it in David. He turns back to the Lord. Doesn't David model for us the life of Christ? Isn't that what we see in Jesus? Isn't our Savior one who goes to the Lord and his submission to his Father's will moves him to leave heaven to come to earth to die for sinners such as you and I have turned out to be? And when Jesus is tempted by the devil, he reminds Satan God has said, worship and serve him only. And then in Gethsemane, he says, Father, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And in his death on the cross, he cries out and he says, into your hands I commend my spirit. David seeks his treasure in the Lord, and Jesus seeks his treasure in obeying his Father. What's the application here? To the extent that David is like Jesus, you be like Jesus. In your suffering, Pursue the Lord in the difficulties of life that you don't ever expect to come your way. Go after the Lord with great enthusiasm. It's very similar to what we find in, um, in the life of Job. Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me. Yet will I trust him. Uh, Shane and Shane is a musical group. You may have seen some of their songs on YouTube. They have a, a song entitled, Though He Slay Me. And the background to the song is this. Um, they experienced the unexpected death of their father. And, and their mother was a new believer. Though an older adult, a new believer... And as it dawns on her that her husband is dying, she bursts into tears, and they wonder how they're going to care for her. And then 
she cries out. She says, God gives. God takes. God blesses. What a wonderful statement from somebody who was a comparatively young Christian. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord's call in your life this morning is to live out of the grace that you received through Jesus in your life by pursuing him at every turn, by actively going after the Lord wherever your path may lead. Yeah, there's, that's where treasure is found, right? It's not found at the end of Mr. Fenn's hints. It's found in relationship with Christ. So David says, you've made known to me the paths of life. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Lord is calling you, pursue, pursue him, pursue Christ at every turn in the difficulties of life, in the trials that face you, go after the Lord hard. Lord, bless your word to us, we pray. We thank you that you've said that in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. Help us to be people who, as David followed Christ, pursue you wherever you lead us. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name, amen.